Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of Hebrews. The New Testament book of Hebrews and Hebrews in chapter number 2. The book of Hebrews and chapter number 2. We're continuing to start and work at the very beginning of our series of the book of Hebrews. As we look through the book of Hebrews, we can see that it is a... New Testament commentary on the Old Testament, and it is filtering the Old Testament through the light of Jesus Christ, meaning that it's taking the Old Testament and it's showing how it points to Jesus, and that Jesus is better than all of those Old Testament pictures. We're thankful for those Old Testament pictures, those historical events, but they were all designed to point to who Jesus Christ is. Is. And so as we come to the book of Hebrews, chapter number two, we can see that it gives our first conclusion based off of what was already given, dealing with the idea that Jesus is better than the angels. Notice with me in the book of Hebrews, chapter number two. The book of Hebrews, chapter number two, notice with me in verse one. Hebrews chapter two and verse one. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Hebrews chapter number 2? The book of Hebrews chapter number 2, and notice with me in verse number 3 where it describes so great salvation. So great salvation. And with the Lord's help, I would like to take this passage and describe to you about this so great salvation. Let's go to the Lord together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And I thank you for how much you loved us and that you died for us. You paid the price for us to give us forgiveness of sins full, free, and forever. I'm thankful that you made it simple, but yet it is so powerful. It is so great what you offered us. I'm asking that you would help me now. I cannot give enough words. I cannot I'm not intelligent, I'm not a good enough speaker to describe how great this salvation is. But I can trust your Holy Spirit to work in people's hearts, to draw them close, to illuminate, to show them this great salvation. I'm praying that anyone that hears this message at the sound of my voice, that does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, that they would not neglect so great salvation 
But they would willingly and gladly accept that free gift that you offer them. Let it make sense. Let it just be clear. And let your Holy Spirit draw them near. We're trusting in you and looking forward to you answering this prayer. Thank you for what you're going to do. And we love you. In Jesus' name, fill me with your spirit now. Amen. We talk about this so great salvation. Now, we've learned a long time ago that we have to define our terms because we know that people use religious terms all the time. And what someone may mean by a religious term may mean something completely different to someone else. So, therefore, we have to define our terms. We know that the word salvation in its most basic form carries the attitude to deliverance. Salvation just means to deliver. To deliver someone in the Old Testament, it would often use salvation for the idea of to deliver someone from a problem. For example, we have Daniel in the lion's den. God gave him salvation. He delivered Daniel from the situation he found himself in. David prayed for salvation or deliverance from some of the situations he found himself in. But as we use the word salvation in a religious term as dealing with the New Testament, as dealing with the local church, as dealing with Jesus Christ, what we mean by salvation is the forgiveness of the penalty of sin. The forgiveness of the penalty of sin. Now, what do we mean by this? Why is this such a big deal? Well, maybe I could describe what makes the salvation great. What is salvation? What do we need saved from? Well, the first thing that we understand when we talk about salvation is that heaven is a perfect place. That's why we want to go there. You know, up in heaven, there's no more sickness, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more tears. That's why we want to go there. But do you know what makes heaven really worth going there? Is that God is there. That God is there. That Jesus is there. And everything that we know about God from the Bible is that God could be described like this. That he is holy, holy, holy. That word holy carries the idea of perfect. So we could say it like this. That God is perfect, perfect, perfect. The problem is for us is that none of us are perfect. None of us are perfect. The Bible gives us in the, in the Bible something called the Ten Commandments. How many of you ever heard the Ten Commandments before? All right. In the Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments is thou shall not bear false witness. We would say it like this. Don't tell lies. Now let's see if that's true. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Raise your hand. All right. So what we're admitting is that we've broken God's law. That one of Ten Commandments is not to bear false witness. But we've admitted that we've broken God's law. You know what that means? We are not perfect. Let's try it again. The Bible says in the Ten Commandments to honor thy father and thy mother. That means we would say it this way to obey your folks. Well, how many of you have ever disobeyed your folks? Raise your hand. All right. Parents are looking at their kids to make sure that they're raising their hand. All right. All of us have broken that law. We are all guilty. We have broken God's law. And so by our own admission, we are not perfect. But to get to heaven, we have to be perfect. This is what the Bible gives us the explanation in the book of Romans 3 and verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says in order to go to heaven, 
We have to be perfect. But we've all sinned and come short of that glory of God. Maybe I could illustrate it this way. Let's say that on the back wall we put a dartboard. How many of you know what a dartboard is? Okay. And let's say that in the dartboard, of course, you would have the bullseye. And we would say, in order to go to heaven, you have to hit the bullseye each and every time. And so let's say that we have three of us come up. Let's say that we have Mr. Matt comes up and he throws first and he throws and he misses it just by this much. Then Mr. Max comes and he throws it and it hits the edge of the dartboard. Then I come up and I throw it and I hit the wall over here. Now, according to the rules, who's going to heaven? Nobody. Because the qualification was you had to hit the bullseye each and every time. However, it doesn't matter if you missed it by this much or if you missed it by this much. If you missed it, you missed it. Does that make sense? The Bible says, for we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. In order to go to heaven, we must be perfect. Unfortunately, we've all sinned and come short of that perfection. There is none righteous, no, not one. Well, the Bible goes on to describe that there are only two places to go when we die. A wonderful place called heaven or an awful place called hell. Do you know that God never created hell for a single person to go there? He created hell to punish Satan and his angels. However, man goes to hell by default because there's nowhere else to go. Because we don't deserve to go to heaven. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's only one other place to go. You say that's awful. Yes, it is. It is an awful, awful place. And God didn't want us to go there. You say, but why? Well, let's think the heaven's a perfect place. That means God has to keep it perfect, right? We've got plenty of kids in here today. So, kids, I want you to imagine. How many have you ever seen mud? How many have ever got muddy? Okay, let's say that you got muddy. And you took your muddy clothes and put it on a clean pile of clothes that mom and dad just got through washing. What would happen to those clothes? They would all get dirty, wouldn't they? They'd have to be rewashed. The same thing's true by heaven. That in order to go to heaven, we have to be perfect. But if someone who is not perfect goes to a perfect place, it would ruin it. So God has to protect heaven. And only can allow things that are perfect and clean into heaven. Otherwise, it would get dirty. Does that make sense? So the... Bible says, for all have sinned can come short of the glory of God. We're not perfect. There's none righteous, no, not one. So we can't go into a perfect heaven as we are because heaven would no longer be perfect. It's almost like someone who says, I'm looking for a perfect church. Well, if you find a perfect church, don't join it because then it will no longer be perfect. Does that make sense? God has to keep heaven perfect. And so only things that are perfect and clean can go to heaven. You say, you're not giving me good news. And it's worse because there's only one other place to go. You either go to heaven or an awful place called hell. But let me tell you what the good news is. The good news is is that God didn't want to see a single person to go to that awful place called hell. So you know what God did? God robed himself in flesh. Just like I put on this jacket. He robed himself in flesh. 
And came and lived on this earth as Jesus Christ. And he lived the same life that you and I lived. He went through the same temptations, the same troubles, and the same heartbreaks. Then Jesus died on the cross. Still, he lived perfect. He died on the cross and paid for the price that you and I owed him. You said the price that I owe is death? The Bible says that in Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. The word wage means a payment. means when we go to work, we earn money. That's our wage. That's our reward. Well, the Bible says for the wages of sin. Sin is anything that we've done against God. Whether it's break God's commandments like tell a lie or disobey our folks. Because we told a lie, because we disobeyed our folks, the wage that we owe God is death. The word death literally carries the idea of separation. For example, if I had, we had a funeral, we would have a casket up here. We would say the person inside of the casket is dead. Why? Because their body is there, but their soul is somewhere else. There's a separation. Does that make sense? The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. That instead of going to heaven with God because we sinned, we deserve to be separated from God. That's the wage that we owe God. And unfortunately, the only other place to go is an awful place called hell. But because God didn't want you to go there, he robed himself in flesh and lived as Jesus Christ. Then he died on the cross to pay your wage, to pay your price for you. He was buried on a borrowed tomb. And then he rose again the third day. When Jesus rose again the third day, it proved two things. It proved, first of all, that Jesus was God. And that God was satisfied with the payment that was made. Jesus paid the price for you. Now all that is left is for you to receive the gift. That's all you have to do now. You say, how do I receive the gift? It says in Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son... That whosoever, that means you or me, whosoever believeth in him should not perish or go to that awful place called hell, but instead have everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For example, let me give an illustration. Let's say that I give you a gift. What must you do to make that yours? That's right. Did you have to uh, pay me money for that? Did you have to mow my lawn? You didn't even have to be nice to me. The same thing's true about going to heaven. To go to heaven, you don't have to go to church. To go to heaven, you don't have to pay money to the church. To go to heaven, you don't have to help little old ladies cross the street. Now, all those things are good things and things we ought to do. But the only thing that gets us to heaven is that Jesus paid your price. And you allow him to pay that price. You accept the free gift that he offered you. What is that gift? That is what we call salvation. Salvation is a term that we use in the Bible that refers that Jesus paid the payment for us. And when we receive that salvation, we receive that gift. Jesus did all the work. All we did is accept that free gift. And all you have to do to accept that gift is to ask for it. Now, let me tell you, a prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. All you're doing when you pray is you're accepting the terms. You're accepting the gift. You're taking it and making it yours. That's the gift of salvation. And this is what God calls such a great salvation. Because the choice is you either go to hell forever or you spend eternity with God. 
And God has given you salvation or deliverance from the punishment you owed God. Remember, I have to tell you the bad news because you have to be delivered from it. The bad news is we deserve to go to hell. Every single one of us. That includes me. I deserve to go to hell. But I don't have to go there because Jesus paid my price. This is what salvation is. Salvation, this is how great it is. It's great because of its scope. Whosoever will. It's so great because of its completeness. Jesus paid every price. All of it. There's not a single sin that he did not pay for the moment that he died on Christ. This is how great it is that anyone and everyone from any time and any place can receive this gift. This gift is not just set for just a few people. It's set for all people. It doesn't matter where you live or what time you lived at. This gift is for anyone and everyone. This is why the Bible talks about it being a great salvation. Now, that's just explaining the terms. Let's go to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 2, and let's see what the Bible says concerning this great salvation. We know what salvation is talking about. It's talking about that Jesus Christ paid our price and gave us the gift of forgiveness through his shed blood for free. For free. So notice this, if you don't mind, as it talks about this great salvation, notice there are three th responses that people can have in turning away from the salvation. First of all, it gives us the warning, don't ignore this salvation. Don't ignore this salvation. Notice with me in verse 1. It starts off with the word, therefore. Whenever in the Bible you see the word, therefore, you need to see what it is, therefore. What it's doing is it's referring to what we've already learned in chapter number one. What did we learn in chapter number one? Well, we learned that Jesus is better than the angels. That Jesus died for us and not the angels. That angels don't receive salvation, nor do they understand salvation. Salvation is something that God only gave to humans. And God gave us this salvation for us. So because of what we just learned in previous messages about Christ and the relationship he has with us compared to the angels, notice in verse 2, therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things that we've heard. Notice this. Your response is that you need to give the more earnest heed. That word earnest carries the idea of uh, pay attention. This is important. To expect it. To honestly listen to this. You know, sometimes people go to church because they have to. Some kids are drugged to church. But God says, this is important. You need to pay attention. This is for all of you. This is something you need to pay attention to. You say, well, I'm a child. It doesn't matter if you are able to understand. God wants you to hear this. This is important to you. You say, well, I'm an older person. Guess what? This is for you. God wants you to pay attention, to pay the more earnest heed. That word heed means to pay attention. You need to honestly pay attention to what we're giving to you. Why? Because this is important. This is the most important message you could ever hear. You said, I could heard of important messages. Sure, you hear things at school. Two plus two equals four. That's important. You need to know math. You may not think so, but you need to know math. You need to know science. You need to know how things work. That's important. 
But more important than all of those things is to understand this salvation. You need to pay attention because this is the most important thing. Some of you came today and you didn't realize that you were going to hear the most important message in your entire life. But you are. You need to pay attention. Pay more earnest heed. Notice this. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we've heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. You know, man has been given a great privilege to have his sins forgiven. But our response should be to pay attention, to look forward to it, to listen to what he's saying. Because this is the most important message you could ever hear. But the Bible says we need to pay attention because in, we could ignore it. Lest at any time we should let them, these important matters of salvation, slip. The word slip is an interesting word. It carries the idea to passively walk past. And associated with it is a criminal act. To passively walk by. To slip. I let it slip. That means that you walked by and ignored it. Could you imagine if you're walking past a road. And as you're walking past a road. There's a guy who's robbing a lady. Stealing her purse. And stealing getting ready to stab her, and you see that, and you passively walk by and let it slip. You ignore it. Wouldn't that be criminal? Well, you understand the message I'm giving you today. Jesus gave you salvation full, free, and forever. The most important message you could ever hear, and someone can say, well, I could think of something else better. I could think about what are we going to have for lunch. I'm hungry now. What's on TV? What am I doing later on? And you could walk right by and ignore this message. And the penalty of this is to die and go to hell. And you don't have to. That's the wonderful thing about salvation is that no one, not a single person has to go to that awful place called hell. Jesus paid the price for everyone. And he wants you to pay attention and listen to this message. Because if you don't, it's criminal. Because you're going to hell and you don't have to. Don't neglect this. Don't ignore it. This is the most important message of your life. And if you ignore it, it is criminal. It's criminal. Notice as it goes on, not only does it warn us not to neglect or ignore this salvation, it also tells us not to neglect this salvation. Not to neglect this salvation. Notice as it goes on in verse 2. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and obedience received a just recompense of reward. What is this talking about? What it's talking about is for the wages of sin is death. Every action has a reward, has a wage, has a payment. If you've ever once told a lie, you deserve to go to hell. You said, that's not good news. Yes, but I have to tell you the truth. If you've ever disobeyed your folks just once, you deserve to go to hell. That's your reward. Some people I meet say, listen, I'm a good person. I live a good life. 
Okay, well, let's grant that. Let's say that I lived a good life and I only sinned three times a day. All right, let's say that I disobeyed my folks. I told a little white lie and I got mad at my wife. You know, if all that I did every day was those three things, I'm living a great life. I'm a pastor of a New Testament church and I don't live that great of a life. And neither do you. You say, but I live a perfect life. Oh yeah, name me one day where you didn't do anything wrong. One day where you didn't have a single bad thought. Can't think of one. Every day we mess up. But let's just say, for example's sake, that I only sin three times a day. I tell a little white lie, break the speed limit, and I get mad at my wife. If that's all I did in one day, that's living a great life. But you know that if I sin three times a day and that's it, at the end of one year, I've racked up 1,000 sins. At the end of 20 years, just sinning three times a day, I would have 20,000 sins. At age 50, 50,000 sins. Now, God's qualification is perfection. So let's say that I lived at age 50, only sinning three times a day, living an outstanding life. And I died with 50,000 sins to my account. Would I look that good anymore? No. So the Bible here is saying, guess what? It doesn't matter how many sins you've sinned. As long as you've sinned, you owe God a wage, a payment. And that is an awful thing called hell. Every single one of us. But the good news is, is that God did not want you to die. But he paid the price in himself as the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice as it starts off in verse number 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Think about this. We deserve to die and go to hell, but Jesus paid the price for us. If we neglect that free gift that he offered us, how can we justify that? Let me give an example. We got a birthday girl today. Are you going to get presents sometime? Okay. Let's say that you get home and you know that, does your dad love you? Okay. And let's say that he's got a good present for you. And you know that he works hard. Does your dad work hard? He does. And let's say that he worked hard and he spent money to give you exactly what you wanted. And you know it's in the present, okay? You know it's in the box. It's wrapped up pretty. It's nice. And when it's time to give you your birthday present, you say, ah, I haven't been a good enough girl. I'm going to open it later. Is that what your dad wants? Does he want you to open it later if he gave it to you now? He wants you to open it now, right? What if you say, you know what, dad? I know you work hard and I want to earn this gift. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to mow your lawn for just several weeks. And then, then I'll feel ready to open this up. Is that what he wants? No. He wants you to open it right then and there. Why? Because he loves you. He worked hard to give you that gift. You don't have to do anything to get that birthday present. You know what he wants you to do? He wants you to tear it open. He doesn't even want you to be nice about tearing it open. Do you tear paper open pretty good? Good. So you tear it open and you open up the box and you pull it out and say, this is what I wanted. This is what I needed. Thank you. That's what he wants to see, right? God is offering all of you a gift. And the gift is salvation. 
What is salvation? Deliverance from your sin and the penalty yield God. Without a doubt, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He is offering you a gift now. And he doesn't want you to wait. He wants you to open it now if you haven't already opened it. He wants you to receive it now. He doesn't want you to wait. He wants you to open it now. If we don't open it, we are neglecting so great salvation. Let's say that someone who's sick, he hates doctors, he hates us, but he gets so sick he has to go to the doctor. So he goes to the doctor. The doctor says, you got tuberculosis. Your lungs are all beat up. So I'm assigning you rest, sunshine, and to take this medicine. You have to do what I tell you to do in order for you to get better. So the man gets home and says, you know what? I don't care about this. I, don't, I just do whatever I want. I don't trust the message that the doctors have. And he ignores the doctor's advice and he dies. Whose fault is it? It's his fault. Because he neglected what was offered to him to help him out. He could have gotten better, but he ignored it. He neglected it. And it was his fault. It was not the doctor's fault. The doctor gave him the message, gave him the prescription. He had to make the choice to accept, to believe, to take it for himself. And if he did not, he neglected it. Let's say that you have a man who hates God, hates church, hates everything about it. But his wife keeps nagging him and he's, he's always convicted. God's drawing him, working near. Finally, he gives up and says, you know what? I'll go to church. And he shows up to church and he's expecting to get encouraged. But instead, the good for nothing preacher says that he's a sinner. And he deserves to go to hell. And he doesn't like that message. How dare the preacher say I go to hell? But then the preacher says that God loved you enough that he paid the price for you. And all you have to do is accept the gift. It doesn't cost you anything. All you have to do is receive it. And a man could sit and listen to a message like this. And say, sure, that's nice. Not for me. And if he walks out neglecting that gift. And he dies and goes to hell. Whose fault is it? It's his. Because salvation was offered to him and he neglected it. He had the gift right there and instead of opening it, instead of receiving it, instead of taking it, he set it aside and walked away from it. Now is the appointed time. Now is the time to accept the gift. You do are not guaranteed tomorrow. If you've never accepted this gift, don't walk away from it now. It's being offered. You don't have to do anything except accept the terms. Accept that you deserve to go to hell and Jesus paid your price and you're willing to allow him to pay that price on your behalf. How can you neglect a great salvation as this? Why would you walk away from a present that God has given to you and say, I'll do it later. I don't do it now. Maybe sometime later. Now is the appointed time. Don't neglect this salvation. So as we walk through here, we could see the warning. Don't ignore this salvation. It's criminal. And the penalty of ignoring this is death. 
to die and go to an awful place called hell. Don't neglect this salvation. God has offered it to you. And you have no guarantee that you'll ever be offered this gift ever again. Now is the time to accept it. Now is the time. He loves you so much he wrapped it up. Gave it to you as the Lord Jesus Christ. All you have to do is receive it for yourself. Don't ignore this salvation. Don't neglect this salvation. Friend, don't dismiss the salvation. Don't dismiss this salvation. Notice as we continue in verse number 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Which at first began to be spoken by the Lord. This is Jesus Christ. And was confirmed unto us by them that heard it. We know that salvation was communicated to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. He came on this earth and he explained that we're sinners. And he explained that we deserve to go to an awful place called hell. Oh. But God paid the price for us through Jesus Christ. He explained over and over that we deserve to be separated from a righteous God. But he came to pay the price. Jesus went to the cross and died for us and rose again to pay for our sins. All that's left is for us to accept the terms. He communicated to us. But notice the two ways that it was confirmed. That it was double checked. That Jesus' message was true. That this is exactly what Jesus said. First of all, by the witness of the disciples. By the witness of the disciples. Notice again in verse number 3. It says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at first was to be spoken of by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? Who heard him? Well, Jesus had 12 disciples that walked with him for two and, or three and a half years. With that, he had even more people who followed after him. And they gave testimony that the things that you saw was true. In the book of 2 Peter, Peter says, We have not believed in cunningly devised fables. The things that you heard are true that we told you about Jesus. Later on, in the book of 1 John and 90 AD, 60 years after Jesus ascended to heaven, John's left to give a witness and said, Let me tell you the things that you heard about Jesus is true. Let me just read to you in the book of 1 John, chapter number 1. Let me just read to you what it says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard. He says, We have heard these things. Which we have seen with our eyes. He says we heard Jesus say it. We saw what happened with Jesus. We have heard. We have seen. Which we have looked upon. We have looked upon it. And our hands have handled. We have touched him. We have seen him. We have handled him. The word of life. The things that are true. When Jesus died and was buried and rose again the third day. One of the things he did is he came and ate lunch with them. And then he disappeared. Why did he eat lunch with them? Did he have to eat? No. But there was evidence. Hey, look at this apple. There's teeth marks. He was here. Something ate this. Look at fish. We have the bones here. Something ate this. Jesus was real. We have evidence. It's not our imagination. Jesus died and rose again. There's proof of it. We are witness. We have touched him. We've seen him. We've handled him. The disciples confirm that this is true. This isn't just one account. 
Jesus was seen of many people as evidence that he rose again. It was proved and the disciples confirmed his story. This was not something that was made up. Verse number 2 of 1 John, uh, it says, For this life was manifest, made evidence, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifest to us. We have seen it. We have proof. We are giving witness. Jesus died on the cross for your sins and mine. He was buried on the borrowed tomb. He really died. But he rose again the third day and we saw it. We handled him. We were there. I'm telling you that the accounts, the stories that you saw was true. Then they wrote about it. In the Bible to give us the account. Their eyewitness testimony. This is what we saw. This is what we heard. This is what we touched. I'm giving my affidavit. My account. This is true. Don't dismiss it. It has evidence. Eyewitness accounts. Looking back at the book of Hebrews. Chapter number 2. We also see this. The first uh, account, the first confirmation was from the disciples. The second was the witness of God. God witnessed that this was true. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number four. God also bearing them witness. So the disciples gave witness, but God backed up their witness. He gave proof that what they said was true. Verse number four, God bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders. The signs and wonders were directed to the Hebrew people. That the Hebrew people, in order for them to accept that Jesus died, that Jesus paid the price, that Jesus has changed things, was signs and wonders. They needed to see that God did this. This had God's stamp of approval. So the signs and wonders were directed to the Hebrew people as evidence that Jesus died for them and paid the price. This was the evidence to scream to them, to show them. But not only that, verse number four, God also bearing the witness both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles. At the very beginning of the book of Acts, they had miracles that went on to prove that Jesus is real, to prove that he died on the cross, to give evidence this was true, diverse miracles that happened. And let me tell you, God is still doing miracles. The change of life is one of the greatest miracles that happened. That I accepted Christ and he made me a new creature. And now I'm different because of it. The evidence of a changed life. There is miracles that go along with it. This was to convince the Gentiles that Jesus is real. This isn't a fairy tale. There is proof and evidence that God is real. Don't dismiss this salvation because it has evidence. But notice there's a third thing here in verse number four. God also bearing the witness both with signs and wonders, with diverse miracles and the gifts of the Holy Ghost. These were to confirm the message to the Christian because of who he is and what he has done. He has evidenced through the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Ghost, inside of the heart of those who've accepted the gift, that this is true, this is proof, this is real. God convicts us, He moves, He gives evidence, the Holy Spirit is real, giving us evidence that the thing that I believed about salvation is true. We have confirmation. Don't dismiss this salvation. This is what a lot of people fit into. Well, that's nice, preacher, for some people, but that's not for me. Don't dismiss this. Because if what we're telling you is true, then this is the only way to get to heaven. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, 
and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. That is using the definite article. Some people like to say, well, Jesus is a way. No, that's the indefinite article. That implies that there are many ways to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. If you dismiss this, if you say, well, that sounds good, but it's not for me. It is to your own detriment. Because there is evidence to what we say. We're not making things up. This is not a crutch. But there is evidence. Historical accounts. There is evidence even today. With the Holy Spirit to back up what we say. Let me tell you. This is real. Do not ignore this great salvation. Do not neglect this salvation. Do not dismiss this salvation. You say, preacher, what are you getting to? What is it that you want me to do? What I want you to do is receive that free gift that God is offering to you right now. Just as if you had a birthday gift in front of you, God has handed it to you and he wants you to open it up now. It's for yours. It's paid for. It's a gift. Just take it. Receive it. You say, well, I still got questions. Then ask them. When we're done, you are more free to pull me aside. I will answer anything I possibly can to convince you that this is true. I want you to leave satisfied that what the preacher said is true. Don't neglect this great salvation. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you've never come to the place where you realize that you were a sinner and because of your sin that you've offended a holy righteous God and you deserve to go to hell, if you've never realized that Jesus paid your price to pay that and you never personally asked Jesus to be your Savior, today is the day. Don't put it off. Don't neglect it. And by the way, my God doesn't make mistakes. You are not here by accident. If you have never accepted Christ as your Savior, Jesus brought you here today for the purpose of hearing this message. He directed your path on purpose to give you this. How can you walk away when God has orchestrated for you to hear this message? How can you neglect it when God has already shown, listen, I want you to know the truth. What would stop you from accepting this free gift when it's free? You don't have to do anything for it. Jesus has done all the work. All you have to do is accept the terms. Don't ignore this salvation. Don't neglect this salvation. Don't dismiss this salvation. Now is the appointed time. Now's the acceptable time. Now is the time for you to receive the gift. In just a moment, we're going to have what is called an invitation. There's nothing magical about the altars, nothing mystical that happens. All I'm doing is inviting you to respond. And I want you to receive that free gift. You don't have to say any magical words. You don't have to put your hand in fairy dust. You don't have to do anything but come and respond to this message. All I want you to do is for you to take the gift that God gave to you and open it up and make it yours. Now is the time. Accept it. 
You say, well, I'm young. I don't care how young you are. If you can understand what I said, you come and respond. I'll have one of these dear sweet ladies open up the Bible if you're a lady. For if you're a man, I'd be glad to take the Bible and have a gentleman show you. And we want you to walk away accepting this gift. This is for you. Don't neglect this salvation. It's for you. How can you say no to forgiveness forever? How can you say no to be getting out of hell forever? How can you say no to a God who loved you so much that he died for you? Now is the accepted time. Now is the time to accept the gift. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three oh eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three oh eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.